1: And you're listening to Here's the Thing. His family and folks close to him call him Amir. That's Amir Khalib Thompson. But you probably know him as Questlove. Philly native music history savant and drummer and music director for the Grammy Award-winning hip-hop group The Roots. When The Roots aren't in the studio or out on tour, they're backing up Jimmy Fallon on the oh, Tonight yeah. Show.
2: But here, dude, I gotta say, you're one of the hardest working guys ever. We love you so much, you know, and you and the guys
1: are just the coolest. Uh, we, we've been uh, doing this uh, together for what, like seven years now? Six, seven years. Six, six yeah. seven years. He's w- been called America's Band Leader. The 45 year old drummer is also a DJ, and he's been a caterer. He just came out with a book about food this year. Quest Love is constantly creating, trying to do the many things he loves, seemingly all at once. But one thing Questlove doesn't do well is take compliments, which explains his reaction to a very flattering profile in The New Yorker. Uh, I was pleased.
2: You were? Yeah, I I don't know. I've I've been taught to not uh, relish in celebration of of press stuff because I do so much. Um, You can't let it matter. I mean, after a while, it's just like, eh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like now, I I don't think I've watched a Tonight Show episode in like two years. You haven't watched your show? Unless it's super epic. I mean, if it's like Phil Collins, then
1: I'll watch it to make sure. (laughs) Have we officially started? We started. Okay. Um, I read this piece in The New Yorker, and I mean, just for my money, I mean, these press things aren't that important, you're right, but... This piece is very complimentary and real and honest. And I'm thinking, what do you miss about them? What do you miss about Philly? Is it Osage Street, Osage Avenue, Osage Avenue, Mom and Dad, the drums, the basement? What do you miss about back before you, you made it?
2: You know, you know, it's weird. Um, my sister always rags me about this, um, and this will probably mark the first time that I haven't made a pilgrimage. Um, there's certain luminaries in hip hop that will go back. To the old hood. And I'm like, dog, like, why are you, why are you driving a Bentley through the projects? You know what I mean? Like that having that moment. I mean, mine's the exact opposite. Cause my car is like, I'm still driving my first car, which you're is you're still like, driving the Scion, the Scion. No, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm never going to give it up. I mean, I have other cars, but my Scion is, is my baby. But, um, uh, I I don't know. Like I have this, I often have this craving to. Uh, drive back just drive back and look for old ghosts um it's it's weird it's it's even uh even like with with food like i'll question why am i sticking to a certain diet from my childhood am i hoping to to find old ghosts or I I don't know what it is but um, what's a diet from your childhood you would stick to I mean I'm in a place now in a position in which I could be at the prime healthiest of my life if I chose to and you know it, as I speak to you I'm back on that bandwagon in the piece you talk about a greek chorus of health people around you whatever yeah, phrase yeah they're back they're back and it's singing louder than ever cuz <laughs> I let cause you asked for it, because I let two thousand and sixteen be two thousand and sixteen, and it's you know it it took a toll on me, so i I decided after Thanksgiving, I'm going back to you know to to, to fight for my life again. Um, and I think during thanksgiving, I, I don't know. I was just thinking of all those psychological process, and I'm like, well, you know what is it when you taste these collard greens? What is it when you when you eat this particular type of soul food? Like, are you missing memories of 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 grandma on on a Sunday? Like, food was a very big part of our my childhood, and uh, I'll say like the process would start on Thursday. I'd stay at my grandmother's house, and it was always like a it was an event. And Thursdays, like she and her sisters would start the process of cooking Sunday dinner. So Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, even like while watching Soul Train, I'd help with snap beans. Uh, they're the type of people that would like start a cake on a Monday and drown it in uh, brandy for about three weeks. Don't touch that cake, i here. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, so it was like always a big process for this sprawling Sunday dinner. Like every Sunday was like Thanksgiving. Every Sunday was Thanksgiving. and Special. Yeah, it, it was special. So I don't know. Maybe I'm looking for my identity now that I've been sort of, uh, uh, I don't want to say misplaced or, you know, I've, I've transitioned to another life, another lifestyle, which I'm kind of separate from my childhood memories. Which probably explains the Soul Train obsession. Which explains, like, now now that I've I've had time to to really think about it, and especially in the last week, it's it's making sense. Like, I don't think I'm collecting 700 episodes of Soul Train because I really think that's an awesome show. Of course, I think it's an awesome show, but you know, in my mind, There's I'm something thinking something else going on. Yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the Frankie Valley 1977 episode of Soul Train. My sister and I almost. Burnt down the house using the jiffy popcorn on the stove. <laughs> uh, the Johnny Qatar Watson episode of Soul Train. I remember like cutting my hand on the uh, the no frills ravioli from Pathmark. Uh, the seventy nine episode of the Jacksons. I remember stubbing my toe in the coffee. Like there's there's certain childhood memories that are associated with every episode of Soul Train. So I think that's why I hang on to it. Um, and plus, like being part of a uh you know being in the quote unquote hip hop generation uh a culture that celebrates youth so much um I think just the idea of transitioning or metamorphosis or even just vanishing, which i think I think the idea of vanishing is what's really controlling a lot of Americans' thoughts in 2016. What's vanishing? The idea of not mattering. Old traditions leaving. The idea of change. The idea of... Is this related to the election or not?
1: I, I, no, right. just every, yeah, I mean,
2: everything. It could be the election. It could be me personally. I think that... you have a
1: sense of of so things vanishing? Um, or is that, two, or is that approaching middle age? You're how old now? You're 41? I'm 45. I'm 45. 45.
2: Yeah, I think just in general there's something about 2016 that is transitioning more than anything i for one um as a musician and a lover of the arts um you know this is the 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 largest amount of i mean the sheer volume of people dying in 2016 um it, it's for me this is this is uh a message, I feel more of my childhood being, I feel more me being stripped away than just like, oh, Natalie Cole died. Oh, Maurice White died. Ah, Prince died. Oh, di-. like, you know, it's it's up to like... Pieces of your life. 23 key members of my life that, you know, shaped my life are like now gone. In this year? This year alone. 23. Dude, huh? I mean, my, it's to the point that even when I was writing, um on my Instagram the uh there's a, a a well-known well-loved uh house singer named Colonel Abrams. I was hesitating to write a tribute to him on Instagram because now like it was to the point where people were like, "Oh, Amir, you're just the the obituary historian. Like your Instagram has come become nothing but these long two-paragraph tributes to da-da-da's life like it's it's almost like a a a joke now and, and that's that's where it's come to but I think more than that it's just I think that all of us right now are fearing a transition if you will so you know when I when I do drive back home and you know sit there in the parking lot and and peer at the house and everything I I don't know I think I'm Maybe in my mind, I'm Jacob Marley looking for my younger seven-year-old
1: self going to school or something. See, this is the thing I want to get to, which is when I read the article, and I don't want to keep referencing that article, but when I read the article, it's like you kind of get the sense of like, how much longer are you going to do this? That This is going to be enough for you. Meaning... Music will be in your life maybe in some other way. Something tells me your love, your worship, music being in your DNA in the way it is so completely from what I read. I mean, you being mm-hmm. you know people, you're like some combination of like, uh, uh, you're like Mozart and Alan Turing, yeah. you know, this savantish freak in a good way about yeah. music and so forth and entertainment for that matter. But I'm wondering, so I'm assuming, assuming you'll have some place in your life. Where do you think it's well, going go
2: to Well, it's weird because since... That New Yorker article came out, um, it has blossomed and bloomed tenfold um, to the point where I guess at that time uh, I had, let's say I had uh, maybe eight jobs Um, up until early January. I mean, I had 16, 16 jobs. Like, I just decided maybe a month ago to not return to NYU to teach Um, because— What were you teaching there, um, specifically? I taught taught music history. I taught uh, at the Clive Davis Music School, me and uh, Harry Wagner, who controls all of Universal uh, Music's uh, reissues. So anytime you get, like, he's the guy that has to sit back and figure out how to resell you Marvin Gaye's box set— or anything from Motown or anything from the Rolling Stones, anybody universal uh related on that label. So he and I taught at NYU for the last five years. Um and mostly we we I, I like how the, was that experience? Uh it got scary the last year because suddenly I realized I mean I mean you 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 have children, so I'm sure that there's a point in your life where you just, a sentence start with millennials, like, you know. Just, I go there. Right.
1: And. Um, it was frustrating.
2: It's, it's, it's an amazing mystery because. Are they all rich kids? Um, kind of? No, I mean, some, some are, I mean, some are well to do. I've I realized that uh, some came from the lineage of, Oh, that's your father. You know, that sort of thing. Um, But it was to the point where, because the information is so abundant now, I actually caught myself wanting them to teach me as I was. I mean, the questions they were asking about, uh, like, the production methods of Michael Jackson's Thriller. Well, you know, on human nature, uh, I hear a Fairlight synthesizer. But what do you think that was the eighty-two module or the? And I was like, get <laughs> that into it. I huh? was huh? that, <laughs> like, that's
1: who's in that class.
2: Yeah, that's who's in that class. Savantish, so, take on that. It got scary for a minute. But um, what what I specifically taught about was um, the departure record. I'm really I'm really obsessed with the idea of self sabotaging. Um, there's a movie that came out. Uh, by comedian Mike berbiglia
1: right
2: called uh don't think twice and actually um coming up uh the the follow-up to whiplash is a, f- a film called uh land of Lala with uh Emma Stone Lala land la Lala land I'm yeah. sorry I'm, I'm getting that yeah uh, Lala Land with Emma stone and um Ryan Gosling which sort of uh deals with these same uh Premise, which is—have have, have you seen Don't Think Twice or no. heard about this film? Okay, so Don't Think Twice is a film about um, a groundlings or a, 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 a kind of a comedy troupe. Um, UCB. That UCB-ish is. comedy troupe of like seven people um, who are really like at the top of their game with improv. And then one day a Steve Higgins figure— uh, comes in and changes one of their lives by offering them a spot on an SNL-ish type of uh, platform. And uh, one of them, one of the seven that have been tight-knit forever will clearly be a star. Um, and of the seven, you know, it's like, it's how they deal with the idea of, again, separation and and it's it's just an amazing two-hour exercise in self-sabotage. So, how it relates to the class that I teach? Uh, I teach about departure albums. Uh, in other words, uh, okay. So, the Beatles got tired of being the Beatles. They got tired of playing in stadiums in which they couldn't hear themselves or the screaming, and yada yada yada. You know the story. Assuming that you're and love, love, love. Assuming that your 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 listeners are on your IQ level. Um the, they're all smarter
1: than I am, trust me. <laughs> okay. So they get so Shea Stadium after that they pack it in. Right. Then they
2: decide we're tired of being the Beatles, so let's just make uh, you know, a psychedelic record and Tim Pan Alley references and and we'll stop being the Beatles. And then it backfires and mm-hmm. really makes them like the greatest band of all time. So uh, speaking of Sgt. Pepper's, uh that's an example. Or The opposite is Sly Stone, whom, uh, after having massive, like, one single hits off of his records, finally hits Jackpot in uh, 1969 with the Stand album, and then a very, you know, a a victorious uh, uh, run at at Woodstock, uh, leaves his audience, like, just you know, begging for more and whatever his follow-up records is going to be like, you know, it, it's, it's the ultimate alley-oop setup. Someone just shot an alley-oop and all he has to do is run to the to the rim and dunk it. And what does he do? He makes one of the most depressing... <laughs> Dr-
1: <laughs> Dr- Dr- what album is that? Let's go get that. What is that? It's called
2: There's a Riot Going On.
1: Now, the thing is... What's, what, was there a hit on that?
2: Yeah, Family Affair. Here's the thing. There's a riot going on leaves a lot of people in conflict because it's essentially the first funk record. But what I try to explain to the class is the equivalent of, you know, how like your first. okay, not for you personally, but how a person in 2006, how their first instinct will be to pull out their cell phone. If a car accident happens, they pull out their cell phone. Oh, a fight happens! I'm gonna pull out my cell phone to watch it. What there is a right going on is is really you're you're watching in real time a human being having a meltdown on wax, and <laughs> it's it is it's like all. Do, do you know personally why was he melting down? Well, that's the thing. There's there's survivor's
1: guilt that people don't talk about, especially with black people. The idea of, like you reference in the article where you say the 33 kids and this one's dead, this one's in jail, this one's, right. and you made it. Dude, survivor's guilt, <clears throat> survivor's guilt is real. Where is he from? He's
2: from uh, the Bay Area, Oakland. Okay. So, I mean, there's the pressure of staying true, staying true to yourself, not not selling out. Uh, the Just the pressure of having to now deal with, be careful, you know, you hear all the time, be careful what you ask for. And I feel as though in those two years of of the pressure of now I have to live up to the expectation and the brilliance that people expect of me. And what does he do? He, I mean, Sly and the Family Stone was in the age of Martin Luther King, the, the utopian dream. It was a group of black and white musicians, a male and female musicians. I mean, it was the utopian poster idea of what, Martin Luther King's dream should have been. And he just pissed on the legacy. In turn, he also gave us funk music. I mean, you know, historians will be like, well, you know, it's the first time a drum machine was used. And it's the first time, you know, the E-chord was used on a on a bass for funk reasons. So it was what's, like,
1: the, what's the big hit that comes out before this album? What's he riding the wave on? What song? Uh
2: the the, the hit before was uh I mean the album before was stand. Now, to sort of stall for time, uh, Epic Records put out a Greatest Hits album and put three other songs that weren't associated. So thank you for... Like, Let Me Be me, Myself. Right? Yeah, thank you for letting Me Be Myself. Uh, hot Fun This Summertime. Uh, everybody's... A, like, even even the throwaway singers were like, yes, we're waiting. We're waiting for this big statement. And he pisses all over it. But, you know, it's the same for, you know, Michael Jackson wanting to escape the family and be his own man. Like, Making Off the Wall was a departure record. The Beastie Boys not wanting to be known as, as these these uh, party frat guys and want to make a, a serious uh, piece of art with uh, Paul's Boutique, the follow-up to License to Ill. So what I basically do is I, I take uh, eight or nine records of departure records. Some of them... They were all made with the premise of "I need to throw away and run away from what I once was." Some of them made them more successful, of the Beatles. Uh, some of them were a complete bust. I mean, there's the jury's still out on Satanic Majesty's request by the Stones, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> some good things
1: there. It's it's you know it's 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 the Stones were never going to get Beatles love, and they know it.
2: Well, they tried. Yeah, they tried. I mean, you know, I had to give it to them. They tried. So it's really, it's really just about examining uh, the psychological process of of making music and why we run away from success or the idea of doing it. Did you? Run well, wait. Away? Let me ask you because this is well, the first did thing. You, I, did
1: you Did you run away from success? Um. Okay. So the roots
2: were everyone's favorite underground secret. Like you know, there's. If you ever meet a music snob and there's like that that one thing that, you know, there's the band that they know about that you don't know about and that makes them cooler than you. Right. And then suddenly you discover it and then everyone discovers it and then it suddenly it's like, ah, uh, like everyone has my toy now. It's in the pool, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were that for a lot of people. And then with our fourth record, suddenly we hit jackpot because we realized what the formula was to... Not to monetize, but to to to
1: gain acceptance. We realized what the formula was. But acceptance with what? You it, it seems to me you wanted acceptance with something else. Meaning something tells me because you're so acute about music, you didn't have a number one single. This is what and, you're going you, to learn you, about and me. And you could and you could have sat down and t- something tells me, and I'm not saying this to be mm-hmm. kind. You could write a number one single. In the car on the way to the office right now when you leave here. And you didn't do that because... Fear. Fear. Fear.
2: This is what happens. Okay, so when we started in 1992, um, the idea of a Roots, the idea of... We would be pegged into alternative hip-hop. Now, when we first came out, they were like, were they acid jazz? It was like, basically, if you weren't... If you weren't holding your middle finger out to the camera, you know, saying, singing straight out of Compton, if you weren't N.W.A., you weren't the status quo of what people perceive to be as hip hop. Um, but again, like for people that are not immersed in hip hop culture, when they just turn the channel and just see no, nah, no, nah, nah, bitches, nah, 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 then they just think, oh, that's all it is. Um, which it isn't like hip hop is, is a wide array of art and it just so happens that the 5% that catches on is what's in, in embroidered in people's minds as what it is, but emotionally violent, that's what they think it is, right. but it's so much more than it that. is. More than so that. I came into uh metaphorically speaking, we got to the train platform as the first wave of alternative hip hop, uh, train was leaving. You know, like, when you run for the train and the doors close and you see the train leave and you have to wait for another 12 minutes for the next train to come, that was the roots. The first train was the Jungle Brothers, a Tripod Quest, De La Soul. Uh, it it kind of uh, ended with Arrested Development. Like, in 91, Like they won, like, four Grammys. They were the darlings of, you know, finally, uh, hip-hop is an art. Like, you know, people were were exclaiming, that like, our new savior, Critical mass. Right. And then the backlash happened. Like, imagine that being the Obama era. Like, finally a new beginning. And then suddenly the next train comes in. And, and tonight, it's an outlier. Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg coming in with guns and bitches and shit. And people are like, no, this is what we want. So imagine this election. Like, how could we go 12 steps back? And that was the mentality. And so we had to wait it out and wait it out and literally embraced for a tsunami. We just said, we're going to pull a Hendrix. We're going to leave America. We're going to move to London as a hub. Find refuge in, in, in London. Uh, Get our musicianship together. Get our show together. Get our songwriting together. Get our production what together. What year was that? Uh, we got a record deal in 92. We exiled in 94. For how long? Um... Three years when... Three years you live. We were on we were on Geffen Records. And in 90, 91, 92, Geffen Records had so much money. Guns N' Roses, Nirvana, uh, Aerosmith. They made so much money that Geffen was like, yo, let's start a black music department. We're a rock label. We have no black acts. And, you know, we want to cash in on, on you know, the, the, the craze. And so... What was the
1: label's name? Geffen, he just stayed Geffen. It was all yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, by then like DGC. There
2: yeah. was a DGC. Okay,
1: but um, we were basically
2: kind of their guinea pig experiment. Um, they were like, you know, we'll we'll build a staff eventually, but for now, look, just keep the receipts. Here's the credit card. <laughs> we're
1: like, what? <laughs> That's what we did. And then, um, anybody married back then with kids that they had to pull over there or no? Everybody was single. No, young. we were all single. We were young.
2: all out of high school and college and everything. And so what wound up happening was when we first signed, Aerosmith announced, well, we're going to leave Geffen. You remember Pump came out and it was like really big seller. So they went back to Sony. And so it was like, all right, whatever. And then a little bit later, it was kind of obvious, like Guns N' Roses was not going to have a follow-up to Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 and... Uh, I mean, they had an EP, The Spaghetti Incidents, but that really didn't make any noise. And so Guns N' Roses wasn't there to have a follow-up record to make the more millions. And then Nirvana came and, you know, just changed everything and made gazillions. So then when April of 1994 comes and Kurt Cobain makes his exodus, my manager called me at one in the afternoon and said plain and simple we're fucked and i was like what do you mean he's like dude aerosmith's gone guns and roses ain't coming back kirk has left the and building. now kirk is gone and what they're going to do is that they're, they're just going to drop and cut the label in half i was like so what do we do he's like we're going to go to the studio for four days we're going to finish the record i was like eight songs he says yep I don't have any ideas. Make them up on the way there. And <laughs> he's like, we're going to shoot three videos next week. We're going to shoot the album cut. like totally rushed. And then we're going to take that money because we were controlling our budget. They didn't have a staff yet. We just had the credit card. We're going to take our leftover money and we're going to buy 10 plane tickets and get an apartment in London and pull a Hendrix and just live there and pray to God. That's our only hope. And, you know, that was our only hope. And it worked. Uh, we miraculously finished an album. And even in rushing it, I'm shocked. I mean, it was critically acclaimed and all that, so we were in the right mind frame. Shot three videos, uh, kissed everybody goodbye, came to London with a a stick and a bundle on our (laughs) backs. Um, Stayed in a hotel for like maybe a day or two and then eventually found a flat. Uh, got an agent, said, work is to death. We don't care what it was. And, like, that was our Beatles in Hamburg moment. That was our our Hendrix living in, in, in Europe moment. And we made two other critically acclaimed records. But by the fourth one, we felt if we didn't deliver the goods, uh, we'd be in trouble. And so we had a scientific conversation with our label. We said, look, before you you know, divulge all this money into us. Let's have a conversation. We told them that no matter how good the records are, no matter how critically acclaimed, how many top 10 lists we make, unless you build us a movement, it's never going to work. And they said, well, what is that? So we said, this is what we need. You want the short version, long version? He said, give us a short version. We said, we need three 15 passenger vans. We need uh, expendable kind of, Uh, studio equipment Uh, and we need to hire uh, two chefs. And they looked and said, what the hell? And we explained the plan. We said, what we're going to do is every Tuesday at this particular spot, we're going to have jam sessions. And every Friday in Amir's living room, we're going to have jam sessions. The chefs are going to cook all the food to entice the artistic community because if you say free food, You'd be surprised. <laughs> every, every, <laughs> everybody. be surprised. Yeah, everybody comes over. And we'll just have jam sessions. And eventually what we figured out in those four years was that no one has ever had success in music without being contextualized in an artistic community. So you think you like Stevie Wonder, but it's like, no, you associate Stevie Wonder with Smokey, Temptations, uh, Diana Ross and Supremes, the Motown family. You look at, look at someone without design. Take Justin Timberlake. You're automatically going to think, oh, NSYNC, oh, Backstreet Boys, oh, Britney, Disney, Christina Aguilera. You think of the Disney set. You think of, of I mean, Prince grew his own crops. Prince Sheila E., Mars Day in the Time. It, like, everyone that has success. The only people that never had success, that had success without a family or contextualization was One Hit Wonders. Weird Al Yankovic, the guys that say Macarena, Tiny Tim, maybe the MacArthur part person, but everyone's associated with the movement. You look at the police. Okay, they were part of that post-punk punk movement, early New Wave movement, Talking Heads. Like, even if they don't do it by design, we as consumers think that. So we had to grow our own crops. So as a result, in these three years of having the chef the jam sessions week by week. Um, suddenly we were writing the story of the next millennium of soul. So that's explains Erica Badu, D'Angelo, uh, most deaf Taleb Kwali, basically the 14 or 15 or so platinum based artists in the future. Of course, uh, starting in our living room and then expanding, having their own careers. Well,
1: these are my words, not yours, but but if if London is graduate school, if you all decide to stop. We
2: found success uh, by our fourth album. And then, you know, the one thing that we didn't plan on was succeeding. Everyone got successful. So we stopped paying it for it. Like, suddenly it's like, oh, we don't need the jam sessions no more. Like, we're on MTV every week. Like, that's, w- that's what the mentality was. And then it all came to, I'm not saying it came to a screeching halt, but people often ask me, what do I talk, there's, there's a movie we did with Michelle Gondry and uh, Dave Chappelle in 2004 called Block Party. It was Dave Chappelle's version of, uh, of Watt Stacks. It was Dave Chappelle's version of Woodstock, which was basically kind of the alternative the alternative hip hop uh gathering, you know, of in Brooklyn of all the great acts. It's Kanye West, uh The Roots, Dead Prez, uh Erykah Badu Common, um all the all the people that are under our umbrella. And something happened that day. And I realized, just like, okay, if you look at Woodstock, Woodstock is not the beginning. You would think like, oh, Woodstock, all these new acts i never heard of, they're going to be big. Woodstock was the end of the sentence. People think that Woodstock's the beginning of the sentence. Woodstock's the end of the love movement. Because next was Altamont and and Pain. The 70s. The 27 Club, everyone dying. Uh, Saturday Night Fever. People think, ah, the arrival of Disco. Nope. That was the end of disco. <laughs> By the time Hollywood
1: puts it on screen, it's over.
2: Right. It's over. So th- this was, that morning, I was like, ah, this is how it all ends. And, you know, it was like a, a brace. It was it was a brace. The, the mentality that you have was, how am I going to survive the next four years? Well, not you personally, but for the average American, like, ah, got to hang on tight. I don't know what's going to happen. That's the feeling I had. I meant on on screen it looked very beautiful like michel gondry is one of the best directors of all time and you know it it looked like a beautiful celebration but in my mind i was like well this is where you know i once held the baton and now this youngster named kanye west is going to take over the reins and he's going to be the new leader and then i'm going to get up all- um he yeah at the time he was the new leader because when he arrived on the set suddenly and I looked in everyone's eyes. Any, anyone that was on the set that was, like, under 19 suddenly came in attention. And all the energy and attention went to his direction. And he was just there to, like, stand outside for a second and look. And, but he was new. He wasn't asking for it. He just got it. Well, he, he sort of came in. His wolf in sheep's clothing approach is, is kind of brilliant. I really regret. Like, we tried to hide our true aspirations and our true heart because we didn't want to upset the system. So our thing was like, yes, we represent the everyday man, the common man. I mean, there's there's nothing in the roots narrative that looks appealing to black people. Like we don't have any tales of there's no tales of 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 there's no look my, Ma, I made it. That's the narrative. Jay Z's narrative is I made it, I made it. Like it's just, it's a winning lottery ticket. I made it that was never our narrative so thus the reason i mean the roots are more known to be fish or the grateful dead of hip hop mm-hmm. than you know the the winners of hip hop but you know don't sleep fish is a group that somehow still made eight figures a year under the radar they didn't have to shake their ass in a the video they didn't have to get mired in controversy they quietly sell out Madison Square Garden three <laughs> nights a week. And so that for us was a better was a
1: better way of survival. Coming up, Quest Love explains the magic of Jimmy Fallon and how Fallon convinced the Roots to join him on late night TV. Explore the Here's the Thing archives. I talked to Danny Bennett who has spent his life managing the career of another musical giant, his dad, Tony. I had this epiphany, and I'm like, I'm going to run, I'm going to do this, like I'm running for president. And I went to him and I said, you know, presidents would not go to Iowa <laughs> if they didn't have to go to Iowa and, and, and you know, shake the hands. I go, instead of having people come to you in Vegas, I said, your music transcends, Right. He's reinventing himself. He's really kicking ass. I mean, in terms of like taking chances, there's a transcendent quality in great art that, that like he says, defies demographics. Take a listen at here's the thing.org. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care? Carrie Yuma knows fast fashion's not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect, durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber, and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Akka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors right now there's 15% off at cariumacom alec with how much we rely
0: on our devices it's easy to forget about the hardware we're born with take ears like fingerprints your ears are totally unique too bad your earbuds aren't unless you've got ultimate ears fits true wireless custom fit earbuds ultimate ears fits offer premium sound and all-day comfort their groundbreaking Lifeform technology guarantees a perfect fit in only 60 seconds just put in the earbuds connect to the app and watch as the purple leds form the earbuds to your unique shape Bits.
1: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My guest today is Amir Questlove-Thompson. While he's best known as the drummer and music director for The Roots, the house band on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, he's also sat in for Erica Badu, Fiona Apple, Jay-Z, saxophonist Joshua Redman, and he's managed to put out several books— while some people were surprised when The Roots took the Fallon gig, Questlove is a man who has a lot he wants to accomplish. People think it's money, 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 and because it's not money, 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 you run and do something that frees you so you can go do this other thing. Right. And was this gig with Jimmy, oh, wait. it frees you. Can I ask you? Go I, for it. I hate to be the guy that answers no. your question with the, with a the question. Okay,
2: so when you're first approached to do... Thirty Rock. I mean, this is the tail the tail end of of uh, Scorsese film, uh, Aviator. No, no, no. Even um, um, no, I know. the cops, Boston.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Departed. Departed.
2: Yeah. So even on the tail end of that, like anyone else, I feel. I mean, this is why I admire you so much. Anyone else would have overthought the situation and defiantly been like, "No," like you know. The, the the particular legacy I want to re- leave behind is this and that, or you know, I don't know if you're thinking about your Wikipedia entry as you do these Rarely. things. I'm all no, See, I'm obsessed with how's this going to look on my <laughs> Wikipedia entry? Because when you're surprised love, dear, you say that. Uh, I, trust me, critic critics. One critic actually said, you know, the the I'm the sad the, the sad thing about listening to a Roots record is I can hear. Questlove imagining his Wikipedia entry as each song He's happens. writing
1: his obituary.
2: Right, exactly. So, I mean, how easy was it for you to make that transition? Because people say to me, like, I didn't have posters of Schaefer or Doc Severson on my walls. Like, one day I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then it's like you're met with the opportunity. And it it was it was a no-brainer. But it was also, on the other hand, I was very cautious about it. And my manager at the time said, look, this is what's going to happen. The critics that have been, and you have to understand how the roots are perceived in the critical community. And we kind of unfortunately picked ourselves in this corner where, you know, they just thought like we were, Oh, so serious, and oh, you know, you know, like a surface person will look at Bono and think like, ah, he just thinks of himself too seriously, and that sort of thing, and like overthinks everything. That's what critics were thinking about us, and there, he was like, we need this because what what it will do is it will help break the perception of the political seriousness of the roots. And I was like, yeah, but you know, like, I had dreams of of. Doing what he does, like selling out stadiums and producing, you know,
1: releasing other records and da 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 And he was just was like, a conventional goal we all have. Yeah, and, I and was there's just, a lot. There's a lot of good there as well. I don't want to put it down. Right to be DiCaprio, there's a lot of great things about being DiCaprio. It is, but I, I was I so fought it, and he says, "Look,
2: this is like some a critic sold you on it. Then a critic's going to snark you, and we got to use it as our motivation to really come back." and i was like okay and sure enough it happened the first uh blur news blur about the roots are actually going to be a late night band the guy says this is the most depressing news i've heard it's the equivalent of miles davis being a uh subway a street subway uh yeah, uh a busker busker yes exactly which ironically is how the roots started um it's like it's like watching miles davis busk in the subway mm-hmm. and He's like, there you have it. Like, we've always been in the position where we are always on. Un- and that's the thing. We've always been underestimated. Like, ah, these guys walking in with these instruments, they're not real. They're not real hip hop. You know, we've always been in the underdog. Pfft, what, what are you guys going to do? And he's like, just repeat it again. Use it to your advantage. Like, we should define and redefine the coolness of it all. Not to say that, oh, you know, there's shame or corniness associated with the position of being a late night band, but it was our chance to make it, and for us at least, the coolest thing ever. And that's basically what it was. Like, we weren't even really going to accept the position. And then Jimmy did something that no other human being was able to do. With us. By this point, we were like the complete opposite of what we were in 92. This is like 2007. You know, two tour buses, you know, high off the hog and everything, and in our glory. And uh, we just thought, okay, well, yeah, come to the show, Jimmy. We just figured, like, at least we'll have a friend on television so that when we release records, we can be on his show and promote it. But we're not going to accept this gig. And the funniest thing happened. I went away for five minutes to do—we were on UCLA campus. I went to do a quick uh, interview with the campus newspaper in my dressing room. And when it was over, six minutes later, I opened the door. And on the, on the field grass, Jimmy and all eight members of the Roots were in the Eight is Enough Human Pyramid stance. And I looked at my manager, and we are the most cynical, snarkiest, smartass, know-it-all. We're the smartest guys in the room and not you. We just looked at each other, and we're like, we're not getting rid of this guy, are we? And he just looked like, no, we're not. And what Jimmy managed to do was disarm us in less than 10 minutes. Like, Tariq alone. Anything that Tariq wears is worth twenty thousand dollars. Like the jeans. He's not driving a Scion. Tariq was on. Yeah, I mean Tariq drives a Porsche. He wears like ten thousand dollar Japanese yeah. denim. You know what I mean? <laughs> he was on the bottom. Like Tariq would never put his jeans on on the dirty the grass. Floor. Yeah, the grass. I'm like, what did this guy do to talk? What the did most- he do? What did he do? I don't. I'm still trying to figure. He has. He's that guy. He's that guy. Like when you watch the movie and the 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 the, the guys are trying to dissemble the bomb in like 0. 0.3 seconds. Yeah. He has the luck of the draw. He knows exactly how to disarm. you. He literally disarmed us and showed us the pros of the situation it was as if we agreed to
1: it already and forgot well but but let me let me say that this that i worship jimmy i adore mm-hmm. jimmy and the thing is jimmy is guileless jimmy's a kid Yeah. and and, and that freedom and that i mean jimmy's going to float up the ground but and, we're all kids right but what's great is you guys in behind him with i'm not going to say cynicism but there's a gravity you guys there's a balance exactly there's, there's a, a, a great balance. there's a great balance there there's a great balance there
2: what i what i discovered the first month in First of all, what I discovered about myself and about the band, um, for starters, for a band that sat in Rolling Stone's 20 best band live bands of all time uh, list, I noticed that we never, ever practice as a band. Because our shows are Springsteen length, three hours every night. And we we did 200 shows a night. Like every show was like its own. I, I never wanted to snack before the meal. You know, you don't want to mm, before the orgy, whatever. Right. Uh, <laughs> that that and be- I, right. And so when we got there and we were in this closed in room, eight of us looking at each other, it was the hardest thing in the world to do because we never did this before and like I had to call my manager like yo I don't know what to do how do you rehearse it, we <laughs> did not know how to rehearse. it was like being naked in f- in public or something like it took 3 weeks but suddenly we rehearsed and became better musicians we became better songwriters we became better producers because the it's all these challenges of okay I need a 10 second sting for da 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 here's the name of the song now And it made us more focused on—like, we're now—I felt like we've robbed our fan base those initial 15 years uh, because we're so much wiser now uh, at songwriting, at being musicians, at entertaining. Like, there's so much knowledge that we've gotten that we didn't know. I thought it was going to be a cushy retirement gig. Okay, we'll just set off in the sunset— I'll be fine. My mom's house will be paid off. Mine will be, paid. I'll be cool. But that was foolish. I was made for this gig and didn't realize it yet.
1: Are you guys going to tour perform perform time soon? Uh thinking about it? We,
2: what was once 38 weeks on the road is now a normal, 200 days on the road is now eh, 40, 50. You're going to go out again when? Which is normal. Uh, we when the do, show's over? We do weekends. We have hiatuses. Talk about your books. Yeah. Uh, well, it's the, the, the first book. Where'd you find time for that? Well, the thing is, I'm I'm a serial tweeter, which is why I know like people are ragging uh, our current president elect about, you know, why do you get up at three and five? That's the best times to tweet ever. I don't want to defend him publicly
1: that yeah, way, but I'm just saying... I'm flying in the window at 3 a.m., trust me. <laughs> me too. I got the pad next to my bed. Right, exactly. I'm like, writing scenes down for TV shows on exactly. my pad.
2: Exactly. So, um, I, because of the the, the 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 paragraph nature of all my Instagrams and and thoughts, um, they were basically like, well, why don't you just write a book already? And at first I was resistant to it because I was like, how many ideas do I have in me? But... um. So far, I've written three books, and I'm kind of proud of it. Uh, the first book, Mometta Blues," is kind of a, a a music memoir where I talk about life and music. And the second one was a passion project. Uh, I'm very obsessed with the show Soul Train, so I wrote the ultimate coffee table book about Soul Train. And uh, my my last book was something to food about, which is I discovered that uh, comedians. And uh, chefs are kind of on a parallel creative level as musicians. That's what I learned in in Fallon, watching and observing David Chang, and Dominique Anzel and uh, all these these great chefs uh, when they're preparing foods for our show. Uh, I started to notice that they think like musicians and became friends with them, and then did a kind of a observational study at their creative methods. Um, and I guess the the next book I'm gonna work on is also about creativity. And creativity in what, in what regard? Well, I'm I'm the guy that doesn't necessarily. Uh, I don't marvel at the vehicle more than I marvel at the machinery that makes it run, and I'm always curious about the preparation process, like. I beg Higgins daily to let me sit in on the like. Can I? I want to intern at SNL so I can be. And I, Lauren is not having none of this, by the way. Uh, <laughs> to be there on the pitch meetings, like to to, to when I watch the show on Saturday, I'm always wondering what was the pitch like. Like, how did they pitch this, and how did it? morph into what I'm watching right now. I want to know what it's like in the beginning. So, like, I'm always sneaking around on the 17th floor trying to figure out, you know, how SNL works. So, like, between chefs and comedians, I'm trying to inspire
1: myself with the... restless. The creative process, yes, and I'm also restless. Well, the thing I admire and the thing I'm so drawn to about you and that's so attractive about you is there's this discipline, there's this sense of history, and at the same time, like Tony Bennett... Mm -hmm. who I always use him as the standard of this it's like but we also have to have a good time this is what we dreamed of doing we dreamed of being here let's have a good time yes and enjoy because this is what we wanted and I I get that I get the two from you I get the discipline and the, and, 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 and the, 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 uh, uh, the the professionalism if you will but I also get where you're like let's live I enjoy well I enjoy it now before
2: uh Maybe five years ago, I didn't enjoy it uh, because you're so immersed in the work. But um, a lot of it, well, I discovered meditating because.
1: <laughs>
2: um, you do or die. Well, yeah. It, I mean, I hate to be so more of it, but it was like, you know, again, growing up in hip hop culture, the number one fear in your 20s is like bullets in the club. So it's like, ah, stay off the club. But then. Yeah, I at, read about this. At the age of 40, yeah, <laughs> like strokes became a new bullet, so it's like insulin. Yes, I I had to make a choice, so I yes, having a clear mind and clear thoughts helps. And I know it's it's such a hard sell Does on anyone. Work for you? It saves my life. Like there's no way that you can have my rigorous schedule I feel so bit like my inner circle of nine people. I'm the only person without gray hair, and I look at them like, "Wow, I pay you people
1: to take the gray hair that I I'm not getting." Well, let me just say this: that you're not married now. Uh, I have a girlfriend. You gotta go, no kids. No, no, not okay, yet. So here's what I want. Here's what I want to try to close with. If I'm if I'm able,
2: mm-hmm.
1: do you want to raise kids as well? Absolutely, yeah, that'd be so cool. Absolutely, you, you, you would be such a great parent. Anybody that would have you as a parent would be so lucky. Well,
2: yeah, thank you. It's weird. I'm bad with compliments. Like, yeah, no, but you I'd, would be. I, yeah, I feel as though everything that I'm doing is eventually to pass it on and pass the love to, to someone.
1: Drummer, DJ, author, and fingers crossed future father, Amir Questlove Thompson. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing...
0: Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet, excluding Internet essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services. You may remember seeing something about the death of Donye Jones on your social media feed around the end of 2018. Well, a Ferguson, Missouri activist found her son hanging from a tree, and police are ruling it a suicide, but the mother believes it was a lynching. He was not suicidal. I'm Rayno Vyshelski. Starting only six weeks after Donye was found hanged by a bed sheet, My colleague John Duffy and I spent two and a half years working with Donye's mother, Melissa, to follow the trail and find out what exactly happened to him. The lead detective in the case, he was laughing. From Double Asterisk, Now This, and iHeartRadio comes an unforgettable new investigative podcast series After the Uprising. All episodes are available now. Listen today on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts.